This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Mr. Bass, where should people go in the world on waterwaystravel.com? Oh, man, today? <laughs> Lots of places uh, to go today, actually. I would say, uh, I actually haven't looked, but... Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Well, if I'll tell you what, if they go today, they're a day late, but not to jump ahead to the end of the show, but cloud break had the day oh. of days yesterday with a who's oh. who out oh cool unreal go to go to fiji fiji's a, a can't miss trip in my opinion like that's because i've been there when it's flat and it's unreal you go fishing you play golf you go diving you can go kiting like there's so much to do there it's ridiculous so lay days so to speak are are still wonderful yeah, and any time of year too. So I will give the full Fiji rundown later in the show, but just know if you want to book it, waterwaystravel.com is your one-stop travel surf concierge. They'll save you time. They'll save you money. They've been doing it for 30 years. This is their 30-year anniversary. You know what? They sent me a batch of calendars. I have calendars I can send to you as well, Scott, um, for the new year. But anyways, for anywhere you want to go in the world, for any level of luxury, for any level of surf competency, they will get you dialed. And you just call them, tell them when you want to go, and they'll get you figured out. So waterwaystravel.com. Real water sports. We talk about their inventory. They just received 350 new surfboards this week alone. Can you believe that? That is your dream. Oh, my God. Who is I talking to? I was talking. Oh, I was talking to Vipe. Vipe, who runs the uh, SEMA. SEMA. I was talking to Vipe at Camp Shred about how many surfboards we have. We got too many boards. I'll tell you what I'm soaked about with real water sports is foils, man. I've got a thing about foils. They, uh, Armstrong, by the way, just put out a whole new um, a whole new run, I guess. I don't know how you would say that. A whole new line of high-aspect foils, Armstrong foils, and you can get them at real water sports along with 350 brand new sick killer surfboards which i also i've ordered i've got two new twinsers on order i've got a big twinser thing going i think twinser twinser's the answer you are a madman how many people sent you that leo fioravanti instagram post where he has his whole quiver spread out on the yard on the north shore Ooh, that was interesting Yep, they sent it to me, and they're like, Scott probably has more than he does. Well, see, mine are all different, though. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. have – he had, like, I don't know how many boards. I bet he had 50 boards of the same board, basically. I know, like, I know. But, I mean, when you're at that level, I'm sure each one's got a different, you know, a slightly different color. Yeah. A different color. No, slightly different, you know, V or concave or whatever. Yeah. Well, real water sports, that 350 boards they got this week, it's – Channel Islands, Lost, Paisel, J.S., Christensen, Maurice Cole, Mark Richards, Roger Hines, Takiyama, Werner, Crime, plus Bags, Leashes, and Traction from Prolite, um, Creatures, Veya, which is the new John John Florence kind of line of accessories. 
They've even got the ProLite armored coffin bag, which has inflatable sidewalls, pretty incredible stuff. So realwatersports.com, they've got everything you need. And I, I'm actually meeting with um, Damian Cole, Maurice's son next week. He's going to show me some surfboards. So I'll, I'll report back. Is he in the U.S.? He'll be here. Amazing. Next, next week, yeah. Super cool. Well, then, of course, um, NVS Fins, Naked Viking, to outfit any of your boards with the best fins on the market, Naked Viking Surf. Well, I mentioned it last time, too, is that if you have, let's say you have two or three boards, if you get two or three sets of fins, you can change those out. You have now changed the way your two or three boards are going to react uh, multiple, you know, to multiple you know, times six or whatever it is. I'm not really super good with my math, but uh, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. And it so, exponentially amplifies your quiver. Hey, look at you. Good Lord. You're a wordsmith. Yes. That's what I meant to say. Exponentially amplify your potential performance from your boards um, with NVS fins. I love my NVS fins and um, yeah, super they stoked. Do, they do, um, Fin signature fins for a number of the board builders I just named that actually are at Real Water Sports. But if you are a board builder and you want a specific fin design for one of your models, they do not require large minimums. They will get these done even as one-offs. I've heard customers, listeners of ours, who aren't shapers, who just have a board and they contact NVS and they're like, hey, I've been thinking about this style of fin and they'll make a one-off set for our listeners even. So they do limited runs. They're very easy to work with, and the fins are incredible, especially the Apex series made out of the G10 laminate. So go to surfnvs.com, or you can find them on Instagram. I think it's Naked Viking Surf on Instagram, but great fans, you know, great friends. They did that with me. They, I asked, uh, FCS made that great line of fins from Tom Carroll called the Blue Line, the Tom Carroll Blue Line. And um, I, I hunted down a pair, and I had FCS make me a new set of Tom Carroll blue lines um and i'm super stoked on them and um by the way speaking of twinsers i ran into blake peters of panda at camp shred we had a great talk and um he's my go-to i have twinser friends you know like blake's one of my twinser friends ryan sakel's one of my twinser friends of course Stu kenson is like the bowed down twinser god and um and you're going to become one of my twinser friends i have this I like theory it. I have this theory. I know you got to go, but I'm going to give you my theory. If you think about surf, what the surfboard du jour has been for the past two years has been the twin fin round pin. Think Torn Martin. Think Simon Jones. Think Ryan Sakel. Everyone's got this model. Channel Islands, we all have the twin fin round pin model, right? Well, if you think back to when that was the surfboard du jour back when it first came out, which was 1980, it was basically um, a reaction to the Mark Richards twin fin. People wanted a little bit more control, so they made this round pin twin fin. Nectar made a bunch of them. Joey Thomas up in Santa Cruz. And then the world was shattered. Simon Anderson made the, th the thruster. And we all went to the thruster. And we all went, wow, incredible. This thing's great. Full tons of control that I wasn't getting in my twin fin when I was spontaneously combusting on the shoulder. But what happened with the thrusters, we all went, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to still get that squirt, though. Remember the squirt the twin fin gave us? All that speed? I'm, I'm kind of not getting that with the thruster. And so what happened? Well, 
Glenn went and made the quad fin and a bunch of quads, but they were difficult because of the glass on. The answer to this question, which I'm not even sure I posed a question, but the answer is the Twinser. Boom. Sold. This is going to be a revolution. Um, I mean, people are already hip to it, but I agree with you that Panda, when I consider survival league, I want that 7,000 bucks, but I want the three Panda surfboards so that I can get myself a Twinser. Three Twinsers, baby. Hell to the yes. All three Twinsers. With NBS. Right, well, thank you, surfnvs.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, guy, David. It's an incredible day here. Uh, Tuesday, February 6th in Southern California and perhaps around the world, except where it's February, February 7th. But uh, regardless, uh, for those listening uh, in Australia, right? Exactly. Um, we got a lot going on in the surf world, including, uh, an insane encounter with orcas. Of course, the Pipe Masters is happening the second day of uh, the event. Not the Pipe Masters, the Lexus Pipe Pro, I should say. And um, man, it's been a day of buzzer beaters. And of course, there are uh, cloud break discussions to be had. And of course, must-see moments and uh, a lot going on, man. Some Felipe follow-up, perhaps. I think let's lead with pipe. How can we not? It's literally running right now while we're recording this. We're recording this at 3 p.m. Um, Pacific Standard Time, and John John Florence just exited the water. It's the round of 32. They're going to run the round of 16 men's immediately after they finish the round of 32. Survival leagues are getting slashed <laughs> left and right. Scott narrowly made it through with Yago Doran, a buzzer beater moment. I was, oh my lord! You're I was right. salivating watching him with a needing a score with two minutes left. I was like, "Oh, Scott's out at the beginning of the season." Yes, this well, gets me one step closer to seven thousand dollars and three panda surfboards. Yeah, well, and good for you. I mean, you're still in it, I think. So that that particular buzzer beater was Yagodora and Jacob Wilcox. Jacob Wilcox commanded the heat the entire way up until one minute left. And uh, he defensively sort of kept Yago off of a wave and lost his priority. And Yago caught a solid, clean backdoor wave right afterwards, got pitted from takeoff, and then some solid turns to finish. He was celebrating. I was celebrating. And Yago fans around the world were celebrating. Then Jacob got the next wave with seconds left, and the camera angle made it look like it was deep and long, and I, my stomach dropped. I was like, oh, my God, this this can't be happening to me. But no, it wasn't going to be enough of a score for Wilcox. And Yago Dora moves on. My Survival League campaign continues. Man, honestly, both of those surfers could have won that heat. Jacob Wilcox, as a rookie, looked unbelievably strong. Just a phenomenal surfer, but also just the game plan. You know, like sticking to the game plan, delivering when you need to, to deliver. I thought he looks, coming out of this event, he maybe looks like the strongest rookie. Uh, I don't like know the about full- that. That's Crosby, kind of how I felt. Pinto. Well, Crosby, though. Lord, that guy looks good. Yeah, but he didn't have a backup score. Like, he left holes in that heat. He won the yeah. heat. Okay. But Jacob didn't win the heat. So you can make the argument for Crosby. And by the way, Eli Hanneman won his first heat. 
Um, so Eli's in the conversation too, but anyways, it wasn't to be for Jacob and it was to be for Yago. And that's the reason why you picked Yago going into this event is you've seen these moments of steeliness from him with brilliant surfing and he delivered again. So good pick. Yeah. Thank you. And there's been some buzzer beaters and some, as you mentioned, some survival league, uh, just detritus, just some trash, you know, yeah. and one of them, of course, uh, early on was, Kelly Slater lost to Ethan Ewing. I don't know how much of a shocker that was relative to some of the other ones, but Slater's out of the event. And there's no doubt people chose Slater. I know so because I've gotten the text from people who are like, here we go again, first event, I'm already out, you know. And that's the kind of the beauty of the Survival League. Uh, but the one of the bigger ones, well, probably the biggest one was Ramsey Bukheim from Morocco. And I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong over Jack Robinson, another buzzer beater. And it was sketchy. It was this backdoor one that he just kind of barely squeaked out the doggy door. And uh, that was a surprise. Jack Robinson, certainly um, a survival league pick by many. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to brush past the Kelly conversation because um, Please, yeah, go ahead. I would have bet money on Kelly looking at this forecast. And in fact, I almost did pick him for the survival pick. Um, Kelly, and that's why people picked him actually was because they're not going to use him at a bunch of other spots on tour, but at pipe, when pipe is kind of, you know, big, unruly, you're not, it's not perfectly groomed. He would be the pick. Ethan Ewing though, coming off of last season's second place finish, he's only gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And then coming into this event, I think I told you last week when we recorded after round one, I go, he's my, he's like one of the highlight surfers from the first round of the event despite how great everybody else surfed, who's already won pipe, he was still a standout. So I feel like, and the fact that he then brought that again against Kelly, I think Ethan is the one to watch for a world title this year. Yeah. Look, it's, it's early. I found myself kind of pinning my, like going, wow, what if Crosby killed Colapinto and Griffin are in the finals at lowers together? Like how exciting that would be. Wow. But, but then I caught myself and went, wait a minute, we're not even, finished with the first event of the season hold on let's just wait a little bit but it's easy to get excited about what we saw there with ethan ewing and guy's incredible and um yeah i'm he, you know so the big story though of this day that we are currently recording on is the world former world champs and the former pipe winners who are out of the event in the round of 32 you mentioned kelly you mentioned jack robinson gabriel medina lost to your hype man, Griff uh, Crosby Colapinto. And that nobody saw coming because this is a day where you would put all the money on Gabe because if the waves actually come in their heat, he's going to be the one who gets the two nines. If the waves don't come, he's the one who's going to sit inside and do airs and get two sixes. And that's not what happened. He got two twos. And Crosby waited patiently and with I think he waited 25 minutes with kind of with priority for the majority of the time and then got the wave of the heat, which was an eight point something. He had a small backup score, but you know, Gabe was up against the wall, basically needing a nine point ride. And if Crosby would have gotten a, even a two point ride, Gabriel would have been comboed. So it was a steely performance from the rookie. And that wave that he got wasn't an easy wave to surf. It was a backdoor eight foot backdoor wave. He had a hard time kind of getting over the ledge to get into it. But once he got in, he had to pump like a madman. He did like two or three pumps, kind of made it over the foam ball craziness, came out and then slammed to the end section, which is something you don't see a lot. So it just looked, he looked like a professional, you know? 
Yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was pretty excited about that, um, about that heat, you know. And speaking of, you know, this sort of survival league wipeout, I'm sure that more than half of the league is gone easily. Yeah. Gabe, how many people chose Gabe? How many took Jack Robinson? How many took Kelly Slater? How many took Idolo? Um, you know, I think there's some others too that I'm missing here. Yeah. Um, Noah, but, Noah's but, out. And Noah's out, and um, is Seth Moniz out. Didn't Caleb Robson just kick butt on? Maybe Caleb. Caleb's being interviewed right now as the winner. So oh, was he? he Caleb got an insane nine point three three. There's just been so many buzzer beaters. A lot of these heats, it all came down to, to the last minute. Now I don't know how you define buzzer beater. Is it two minutes remaining? Is it one minute remaining? Is it five seconds remaining? Seems to me within one minute. Yeah, uh, certainly not a buzzer beater, but relative to surfing and how the ocean moves and stuff, you need a minute to catch a wave. Uh, there's been a lot of last minute heroics and it's been fun watching. It's been an exciting day. One thing that I think stands out for me this season, automatically, it might've been the last couple seasons, but the rookies are not afraid of Gabriel Medina or Kelly Slater. Like they, they're and they're phenomenal. And like guys like Caleb Robson, he's not a rookie this year. Shoot, you know what? A listener called me out on the pronunciation, and I think I might have the call pulled up. Um, he's like, dude, if you're going to be saying his name, you got to say it right. It's an Australian listener. Let me just play this call real quick so that I can say his name correctly. G'day, lads. It's Hatchos. We're the listener line call, and I'm calling in about a bit of on-the-nose feedback. So... When you guys are talking about the Cowardly Lion, there's one surfer you love to go to in particular as a juxtaposition. And that is Cal Robbo. Now, what is his name? Is it Calum? Is it Caleb? No, Callum, Callum Robson, Cal Robbo, the Aussie underground legend. Now, in my opinion, if you're going to talk him up, you better say his name right. Keep up the work. Adios and aloha. Callum. Thank you. Hacho Shapes on uh, on Instagram, by the way. Uh, Callum Robson. So, no, yes, Callum. Cal Robbo. I think that was really the thrust of the call. Exactly. Robbo. Cal Robbo. And by the way, I've got the contest streaming right now while we're talking. And yeah. Matt McGillivray, South African surfer, just airdropped into a backdoor bomb and made his way out of that one too. So he's another guy in this conversation where I feel like the rookies too, but also these guys who, you know, honestly have a hard time maintaining sponsors. You know, I think McGillivray just got on Visla this past season. So that's great. It's good to have that for them to have a guy on tour as well. But these guys are underdogs and they shouldn't be. They continually drop tens, you know, literally both these guys have tens last season the last two seasons actually yeah it's, it's it, you're right it's an exciting season uh already sort of unfolding i mean i'm excited to be excited about it you know what i mean like it's cool that that we've got some storylines and um by the way another one of the buzzy buzzer beaters that we didn't speak about yet was jordy smith over idolo did did you happen to catch that i missed the heat entirely tell me about okay. it. okay idolo caught the wave of the day oh well, really it might have been well, up to that point, for sure. So Idlo took off on a backdoor wave super late, kind of dragging his butt, pulling in down the wave face. 
and he had to kind of squeak underneath a little bit of a chandelier one that didn't look like it was going to, you know, be all that, but he was so deep and so behind the foam ball. And of course the angle looking right into the pit showed it all. He was basically blacked out by the whited out by the foam ball came over it, drove through it and arm in the air. And it was one of those, everyone on the beach exploded. Like it was mental. And, um, that was early on in the heat, probably the first wave of the heat. And Jordy just sort of nipped his way around. And then at the end, last 30 seconds, Jordy, Jordy, I think he needed like a four something. He got a five something and boom, buzzer uh, goes off and Jordy's over Idolo. And here we have another world champ that's, that's not moving on. So Idolo didn't have a backup score really? No, he had, he had like an eight, three, three and a two. Cause I didn't see that. And that sounds like he may be informed, but my question was to you was going to be, were we right when we were assessing his Instagram profile blow up in the last eight months? And he's kind of diffused his focus away from competitive surfing. No, I don't think so. He was absolutely ripping. And even more to the point yesterday when it was Mac daddy, Elo was out there charging and um, catching some bombs and doing what, world champions do which is drive through massive pipe barrels on off days or uh you know whenever it's uh, presents itself and so and now, uh, yeah so that on, on form so those are two storylines we'll tease them apart let's talk about yesterday um should they th- there's been a lot of controversy online about whether or not they should have run the contest the commentators have been addressing it um in the booth throughout today's competition and Jesse Miley Dyer, when she made the call today to run the event on Instagram, directly talking to the camera, after she made the call, the second half of her Instagram message was why they didn't run yesterday. Obviously, we have the benefit of hindsight today, but what are your thoughts on should they have run yesterday? I feel like they should have run yesterday. Um, It was, you know, 10 to 15 foot second, third reef cappers, second reefers. It was unruly. It was uh, moving around quite a bit. It was an experts only day. There would have been heats where guys wouldn't have even scored. It was, it's quite possible, especially early in the day where, you know, a one wave score could have won the heat. That being said, uh, so it would have been a bit of a slog from a fan's perspective. We would have been like watching a lot, but I ended up watching it all anyway. I watched Surfline all day long. I was just watching it because it was so big. Every time a wave capped, you just sat there and watched the set come in. You know, it was like that size where you were excited about it, regardless of if guys rode waves or not. And so um, the bottom line is, is that they should have run this. It was 10 to 15 foot pipeline. It was that situation which often occurs where it's you know a little bit unruly and as the day progresses it gets a little cleaner a little better a little a tide you know, everything kind of gets better and better and better and um, there would have been some momentous rides um, that the WSL could have just proclaimed you know there would have been guys getting spit out of just massive Jerry Lopez tubes you know the kind of thing that you see Derek Ho coming out of in 91 or 93 when it back back second reefers that you can't believe he made it and he made it. And so I feel like they should have run. I understand why they didn't run. I think, I think the surfers, I I can't speak for them, but I, from what I understand today, listening to Shane Dorian, many of them were like, nah, let's not do it. And the other half was like, are you kidding me? Let's do it. Like there was a, a, according to 
to uh, Dorian, there was a pure polar uh, polar divide there. There was, uh, you know, schools of thought that that didn't line up. But I I feel like they should have run it just because it was all time Mac Daddy and and you and I and the rest of the fan base wants to see that. We want to see massive ten to fifteen foot pipeline. And if it's not quite perfect enough, so be it. So you say that with the benefit of hindsight. Yesterday morning, did you feel this way? No, it's weird. I got to admit, I, I was looking at it and I understood while there, there was um, a continuation of the, hey, we're on hold and we're going to be on hold now for another 45 minutes and come check back in, in an hour. And I was watching it all day long. And um, let me just say this. I don't think they made a mistake, but I think that as a fan, I selfishly would have liked to seen some of the you know, pipeline in all its friggin' craziness. So I think um, there needs to be a much stronger direction from the contest directors in understanding and fully knowing what their goal here is. And if they had strong direction, if you were running it, if I was running it, our direction is let's see the cream rise to the top in conditions that only the best, most qualified surfers in the world can rise to. And yesterday was the day to really figure that out. Yesterday was the day where there will be two guys who have the right equipment. They had to run back to the house to get the right equipment, but they have the right equipment. They have that equipment dialed because they've been in those waves in the past and they've worked with their shaper. To get, and they're going to be the ones who are out there who find the diamond in the rough. And that's all we care about. The idea of the WSL thinking that they need all of us watching eight hours a day, it's just not going to, there's very few people are going to watch eight hours a day. What they really want is the highlight clip that's going to end up on ESPN that they're going to be able to show year after year after year after year. And yesterday was the day to get that done. You know, like to walk away from yesterday is a complete miss, but it's only with from your and my perspective or like a lot of the fan perspective it's not jesse's perspective it's not the powers that be at the wsl's perspective and they stated as much they said there were some gems out there yesterday but there wasn't enough to go around for everybody you're in my response to that is you have way too many surfers on tour the fact that you're ever looking for a round for 32 surfers is a failed initial kind of you know it's a futile effort no matter where you are in the ocean that means you need multiple swells multiple days blah, blah. so that's where the misstep was yesterday and you do see it's easy with hindsight to point out the waves uh that were amazing yesterday there's instagram clips of them out today that are just like it looked perfect you know if you just isolate those but guess what you're not going to get those today those were only available yesterday and you blew it you missed it let me, uh, let me, I'll give you a quick little anecdote about the, one of the situations regarding the WSL and the way it used to be. So I was on the beach, uh, I think it was the year that Jamie O'Brien won. I'm not exactly sure, but the opening day, and back then it was the Rip Curl Pro. It was the Pipeline Master, it was the Pipeline Masters brought to you by Rip Curl or whatever, you know, it was Rip Curl's event, right? And I was in Jamie's backyard and everyone's there and we're looking at it and everyone's hemming and hawing and, and there's guys that are catching some bombs, but it, there's just like 10 guys out and it's like Kainoa McGee is out. He's just like ripping, you know, and um, there's like some local guys that are out and then Tom Curran pounds. 
Tom Kern gets one that's just sick all the way across on like a seven, six, you know? And I remember rabbit is in Jamie's backyard and everyone's kind of hemming and hawing. I'm sitting, I'm like listening in like what's going on. And they're all talking about it and they're not sure. And who, who comes over, but claw Warbrick, the head of rip curl. He comes over to the backyard and he's talking to rabbit. Who's the ASP director at the time. And, um, he basically goes, what are we waiting for? Let's go. You know, and now you see that the power of having the brands be in control of the events and be able to tell the ASP director, hey, I'm ready to do this. And I'm the guy with the check. So let's go. And of course, Claude, you know, sitting there with his arm doing this deal and boom, it's on. And sure enough, we got those incredible moments that you talk about. And uh, yeah. and it was a day of I mean, it was just incredibly uh, exciting to watch. Yeah. We know that there is going to be downtime and that there's going to be the wash throughs and all that. But what we want are those moments where the very few rise to the top and confront the challenge and elevate their own potential, you know? And so hedging your bet and looking for days that are quote safer, I'm saying quote, because that's a word that they've used uh, in the last 24 hours it's not doing anybody a favor. You know, it's not, it's, it just shows a real lack of understanding and direction from the people making the decisions. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and of course, look, social media lately hasn't been too kind. Um, everybody's sort of quick to, to make a judgment one way or another. And certainly yesterday's, um, failure to run was, was called out loudly. And, um, and I think, as you mentioned, justly, you know, should yeah. run. Uh, my, my favorite comment said, what, not enough Yeti coolers to give out. <laughs> Cause they, Why they is that your you, favorite? well, because it's hilarious that they give away a Yeti cooler. If you get a 10 point ride. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's absurd. A 10 point ride. You get a Yeti cooler. That's the gift, right? So that's hilarious. But the joke, yeah, there would have been a bunch of tens yesterday. Oh, you don't have enough coolers. You guys are going to run out of coolers. You don't have enough money to fund this thing. Run to Costco, get some more coolers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we, I've kind of, the WSL is kind of the worst at their communications department in terms of transparency, whether it's for judges scoring or whatever reasons why they're running. I appreciate that Miley, Jesse Miley Dyer, addressed it and gave her explanation, even though I think her ex explanation was misguided. I still appreciate her confronting it. However, the one thing that they have not confronted directly is where are the women? Day one was phenomenal and they chose to run them in instead. Okay, fine. Scheduled women for the following kind of event, basically round one of the men, round two of the women. They have not run the women yesterday when it was the day of days or, you know, the big day or today when it's a little lesser of a day. And I haven't heard any commentary on their reasons for why not or why they wouldn't have run the women on day one when they ran them in. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about that other than the lack of communication about it. I mean, I'm sure that the women are going to get their moment and um, whether it's the men or the women this early in the event, I mean, whatever, you know, like we're going to see them. I think uh, maybe you're disappointed that we're just simply not getting the communi uh, the communication about when we're going to see them. Well, what kind of conditions are they going to run the women in? That's the question. Well, yeah, I mean, that's we'll see, you know, but um, I mean, there's plenty of swell lined up and uh, I don't 
you know, I, I would suggest to you that today seems like the day they would have run the women if they were afraid of women getting in big waves or, you know, unruly exactly. situations. So yeah. I think I think that's that bodes well for putting the women out in equal uh, conditions as the men. Like the next, you know, three days from now, it could be six to eight feet. Let's see. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear, too. So as I just I guess my question is, yes, it is the communication. But part of built into that communication is if all of your other communication is about equality, then where's the where's the parity here? You know what I mean? Like explain what are you waiting for? Are you looking for unequal conditions to run the women in? Because that seems to be what it is. No, no. I think you're you're there's a lot of low hanging fruit here to, to terrorize the WSL. I don't think this is it. Whether they, they've put whether themselves they in a situation. Whether they should have run the women today or not. I, so First of all, I don't think too many people care. So the other low hanging fruit is you were saying Italo surfing yesterday. That's what we want our world champs to do. Coming off of the Felipe conversation last week. Yeah. There's oh go the, ahead. The one way he could eradicate any commentary about his shortcomings would be to paddle out yesterday. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Where was Felipe? Yeah, I don't know. You, you know where I saw him? <laughs> on his Instagram stories, pushing kids into waves and ankle slappers, which I'm applauding him. Good job pushing kids into waves. But literally, while pipe was 10 to 15 feet, he's posting Instagram clips on his stories at what, yeah. you know, wasn't Waikiki, but honestly looked like Waikiki. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, what I find interesting is that some people are suggesting that we're not allowed to criticize Felipe, that for some reason he's off limits that we're somehow supposed to look the other way that we're not supposed to be fans, not supposed to do what fans do. We're not allowed to, you know, stand in judgment of the competitors and the competition and their performances. And that seems unrealistic to me. This is a, sort of a very simple equation. We have a two time defending world champion. We have pipeline. It's the most dangerous, most perfect and career making. Uh, it's the pinnacle of the sport really. And, um, you know, you can either step up or you don't, but either way, expect fans to comment, expect fans to be loud, expect fans to be ignorant for sure. Expect fans to lack empathy. Okay. But fans can also be smart and compassionate, uh, compassionate and empathetic, but don't expect fans to be quiet about the two-time world champion, not charging pipe when everyone else is. Um, not about this. We're not going to be quiet about this. And it's not a, a personal attack. It's a criticism and a judgment of the performance that we watched before our very eyes. It's like, it's like, yeah, there was no insurrection at all. What are you talking about? We all watched it unfold on live TV, a billion of us. You know what I mean? And what yeah. about the Olympics, by the way? How is Felipe going to tackle his fears at Chopu? Yeah. And interestingly, I found this quote on Beach Grit from his father. And this is his father, Toledo Sr., talking about Felipe. And I quote, the truth is, is that Felipe is afraid of hitting the coral bottom. That is the fear he has of hitting himself there and really hurting himself and suffering an irreversible injury. It's something that stays in his head, end quote. Now, we all have that fear. I have that fear. But I'm not the two-time defending world champion. And by the way, I've also seen some really insightful stuff on the interweb, which is like, all you got to do is raise your hand and go, hey, you know what? 
I, I got some issues here. I am actually afraid of this and I'm working on it and blah, blah, you know, like, I think that he could have easily um, gained more empathy and more sympathy if he would have taken a different tact rather than, you know, well, kind of hating on us for making fan criticism. Yeah. Can you clarify for me? I didn't read the Beach Kid article, but I seem to remember uh, Felipe's dad, Ricardinho Toledo, making that comment a couple years back at Chopu. Oh, that, yeah. This is about Chopu, which is why I brought Correct. it up after okay. I mentioned the Olympics. Because he also took to Instagram last week to defend Felipe in regard to the latest run at Pipeline. Oh, uh, like, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. But no, even before this, this was a oh, few was days it? ago oh. when I saw it. But he didn't mention the reef in this recent post. What he did mention, I wish I had it in front of me and I could read it to you, but what he mentioned basically was lay off. Everybody has vulnerabilities and it's very um, rude basically to pick at somebody when they're down or when they're vulnerable. And so all of this is a reflection to me of a much bigger problem. These are just symptoms of a much bigger chink in Felipe's armor essentially, if it was just that he had a shortcoming in big waves, that's trainable, fixable. You can work your way through that. But this is, I have this fear, this deep-seated fear of these things, and everybody around me is going to coddle me and not make me address the fear. Even my own fans are going to go out and attack my critics and make me think that I'm the greatest in the world and not address the actual fear or this shortcoming in my game well, that hold I need on. Let to me make just up say, for. For his, in his defense, we don't know that he's not addressing his fear. I think that's, I don't think that's fair. He might very well be. And I, I would suggest to you that I bet he is trying to address his fear. But the rest of the stuff you said, his fan base kind of getting in his corner and backing him and saying, just leave him alone is, if, um, you know, if Whatever. there's some if there's some version of him addressing the fear that is him working with a sports psychologist to get to the root of the problem, then maybe you're right. That's happening behind closed doors. What I see is him not taking off on the peak in heat one and then in the elimination round claiming that he had food poisoning, which was an abject falsehood. You know what I mean? Like those of us have had food poisoning. You cannot leave the bathroom. You can't fight with people on the internet. You will not be seen later on the deck drinking a beer, socializing, like full stop. So the food poisoning thing, and then, you know, arguing everybody who's criticizing you about that is also an indicator to me that he's not addressing the fear. All signs point to, no, I'm the greatest and you can't question it. You know what I mean? Like, shut up. Who are you to question my shortcut? That's where I'm seeing. So that's why I say that. But at any rate, I think, like I said, this is a peak into for those of us who are tracking and trying to make picks for later in the season or next year, even this shows a huge vulnerability in Felipe that I don't see him actively addressing where we saw Gabriel Medina have a breakdown at times and then go back into his silence work on that thing, come back with chapter two, you know, of his career stronger and actually more kind of fortified against his opponents. I see this just becoming a larger gaping um, vulnerability for Felipe. Yeah. You know, I sent you um, an email that we received from a listener, Nick, a guy I ran into who I've, I've spoken with uh, a few times about the show and about topics. And he 
sent along the 2011 Billabong Pro, which featured Matt Wilkinson. And it specifically featured Matt Wilkinson addressing his fear, basically telling every, uh, telling the world, yeah, I'm kind of freaked out. You know, like it's going to be eight to 10 feet. They're saying it could be even bigger. And I got to go out there and do my thing. And it's, it's, you know, thank God that there's, you know, water patrol. Um, but it's no easy feat looking down an eight foot Chopu wave with crystal clear water and, and one, maybe two feet depth until the reef is right there. And, um, and, and a few he, times in, go ahead. Yeah. And he won that heat, I believe he, I mean, they made it far in that event. He confronted, you're right. He said he confronted all of that, like, uh, admitted all the fear, but then still confronted it and made the heat. And the commentators were talking about it. It was, um, uh, G the guy, uh, G what, uh, what, you know, his name, um, the Billabong pro guy. Yeah. The Von Zipper guy. Yeah. Von Zipper. Anyway, it was him and others, uh, Sean Doherty, like, by the way, it was kind of refreshing to go back and listen to the commentary team. <laughs> they were pretty good. Um, but they all addressed Matt Wilkinson addressing his fear. And it was out in the open and everyone was talking about it. And in many ways, they even suggested that that bringing it out and talking about it was a, a really smart move for Matt in that it allowed him to kind of like look at it and address it and probably made things easier for him. It endeared him to all of us. It's for sure. so relatable, you know, and then to see him again come over that and conquer it is what was the most impressive part and memorable part about that. Um Another well, hey, thing. and the waves were huge at the 2011 Billabong Pro. So that's why, I, so I watched that. I sent that on to you and I watched all of those clips. And then I, that got me thinking about the Olympics. Like, how is Felipe going to handle Chopu if it's legit? Which it really hasn't been in a while for competition's sake. But if it's eight to 10 feet at Chopu and he's representing Brazil and Gab, Gabe Medina isn't, yeah, like, it's not well, going to go good. Like, he's going to, this, I, I, and by the way, let me say this. I hope I would be super stoked if Felipe dominated eight to 10 foot Chopu. Like I, we all want to see him tackle this thing. It's not like we're going, Oh, goody. He's, he's blowing it again. Let's just watch Felipe be, you know, this thing. Like, I think it would be what, what a wonderful story if he could overcome this and, and, and to win at eight to 10 foot Chopu, win a golden medal. I mean, that would, that would shut us up. Dude. I would have less of an opinion on it if he actually just said I was scared. You know, we'd just move on. The only reason we're talking about this two weeks in a row is because he will not admit it and will lie to us when we can see clear as day what we're seeing. And so, yeah, I, I'd be great if he charged, but if he charged out there, he would need to develop that skill set. And you can only develop that skill set yesterday at Pipeline or yesterday at Cloudbreak or you you know, in similar situations at Chopu. And I don't see him putting himself in those situations. And the other thing is he is going to be confronted with that. And what's he going to say at that point during the Olympics? Because he's already built this narrative of, no, I'm not afraid. And I have a lion tattooed on my chest. So what does he say next time? You can't then say, hey, you guys were all right. I was lying all the time up until now. No, you either have to go or create a new excuse, you know? Well, He's gotten himself into a corner. He has. You know, um, speaking of young guns on tour that are just understated and just kind of doing the work, Liam O'Brien. I know. Liam O'Brien's not a sexy pick. Like, you're you're not like, okay, you can't wait for Liam O'Brien's heat. But the guy just, like, 
pounds his way through heats. Like he gets it done. He's really impressive. He made, I think it was the final at Rotnest, the one event that yeah. they did there. Um, I feel like he made it far in a U.S. Open one time. And yeah, contest after a contest, no matter what the waves are doing, he is a solid pick. He's got Ethan Ewing up against the ropes right now. I mean, they got 22 minutes left, but he has a 7-1-7 on the board. And yeah, Ethan's and he got, just a got a backup. He just got yeah. a good backup. Too. Yeah, so yeah, Liam so. is a sneaky pick. Rocketmoney.com slash surf. When I cut cable a few years ago, I slowly replaced it with a dozen streaming and subscription services. To be perfectly honest, I lost track of those expenses. Five bucks a month, seven bucks a month, it didn't seem worth tracking initially. That was until you multiply that number by 10. And then when my wife and I got married, we realized that we were both in the exact same position. We knew that there was probably three or so that we actually used weekly. We could quickly merge those onto one account, but it turned out that there were another dozen or so each that we were both paying for separately for years without either of us using. And this is precisely what Rocket Money is designed for. It's a modern tool that meticulously tracks the details that we easily get distracted from. Specifically, it's a finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. It gives you freedom by helping you see your subscriptions in a simple dashboard where everything is tallied in one spot. And where we found it most helpful was in its simplicity. Subscription services can make it intentionally difficult or time consuming to cancel. Here, you can click on the cancel button in Rocket Money's app and it'll cancel the subscription for you. It simplifies everything. We even got a notification about Netflix's recent price increase before it even happened, just warning us that it was coming. So Rocket Money has over 5 million users. It's helped save members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com surf. Calm the clutter in your head. Simplify the tedium of your financial life. Find freedom through rocketmoney.com slash surf. Factormeals.com slash surf 50 will save you 50%. Our lives have been made infinitely easier, healthier, and more pleasurable this last month with Factor. Factor sends delicious, nutritionally-minded meals to your door that you simply heat and they are ready to eat. No prep, no cooking, no cleaning. We have 35 different meal options each week, and you can choose as few as six or as many as 18 per week. You can adjust, you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries anytime from week to week. So, you know, just from hearing me on the podcast that I care about food. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I cook, you know that we eat well, and I'm certainly conscientious about nutrition. Factor has filled a gap and created a solution in our life by providing ready-to-go meals. So for a busy day when you don't have time to make a lunch, Factor meals are ready in two minutes. Twice this past week when I didn't have time to prep dinner for my two-year-old and I also didn't want to give him frozen pizza or chicken nuggies once again, he actually shared and ate some of my Factor pasta with sun-dried tomato and pesto and goat cheese one night. 
part of my cilantro, lime, chicken, and rice another night. He loved it. And my wife, by the way, loves the convenience. This has saved her a couple of times this month during lunch when she came home starving and wasn't prepared. And beyond those things, I just love the quality of the food. They also have keto options, calorie smart options, vegan and veggie options. We personally do the chef's choice, which are restaurant quality, but nutritionally minded dishes. Again, it's not a meal kit. It's pre-prepared, ready to heat meals. Super simple, solves a problem for us. Oh, and we also get the wellness shots, which are delicious. It's a great bonus, great thing to have on hand on the go. We will get you two of those free wellness shots and 50% off your first box. Go to factormeals.com slash surf 50. 50% off your first box, but you'll actually get those two wellness shots for free with every box while the subscription is active. Never be in a bind where you make a hasty, poor meal choice like fast food. Instead, eat delicious chef-crafted meals within two minutes by having Factor on hand in the fridge. Factormeals.com slash surf50. Enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. 
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. So speaking of fears, um, orcas, probably the, the most the scariest mammal known to man, orcas off of La Jolla. So turns out, I know all the guys that were out there, I spoke with them on the phone. They're friends of mine um, that I foil with, and they're all really good surfers. And it was Mark Avina, um, Saxon Chang, Aaron's son, Aaron Chang's son, Kyle Knox, Chuck Glenn, and Jonathan uh, Luanis. Um, Jonathan, he's the FCS rep. I'm probably butchering his last name, but I surf with him all the time. In fact, I saw him at Camp Shred the other day, right before this happened, actually. And um, I'll give you the sort of what I heard on the phone call. So um, basically what happened is Jonathan was downwind. These guys are all on downwind foils, but they also have skis. There's two skis and and maybe three skis and they're downwind foiling. And some of the guys are actually prone foiling, getting pulled into the downwind bumps and then foiling the bumps. And um, Jonathan was out in front of everybody and he started screaming, you know, but nobody could really understand what he was saying because he was the furthest and with the south wind blowing downwind, you, you know, the the uh, noise doesn't carry. So Kyle Knox guns his ski up to him, and he said, Jonathan, foiled to him as fast as he could possibly foil to him, full speed, just full speed ran into the ski and just jumped onto the back and just started going, oh, my God, there's orcas right here. There's orcas. Right then, a massive orca just, like, breaches right next to him. And you can see their teeth and everything, and it's just gnarly. And um, there's, like, he said there's, like, four of them um two of them were like 15 to 18 feet one of them was like 25 feet and one of them was massive like bigger than shamu bigger than anything that kyle's ever seen at SeaWorld. just like a beast and these things followed them around for 10 or 15 minutes they were super close they were underneath the ski they were mark avina is the guy you might see in the video where he's actually trying to catch a wave on a stand-up foil and the the orcas come right underneath him and like he falls and they're going at him, you know? And, um, it was just a crazy, scary moment. And Kyle was just blown away. He basically said that, you know, he's never seen an animal that big, so close and how fast they go. I asked him, I go, why don't you just like gun it on your skis? He's like, there's no outrunning those things. Like they go 35 miles per hour. You're not going to outrun them on a jet ski. Have they maybe fast? I don't even know, but they're just they're and they're huge, they're massive, right? And have so, they been known to attack humans? Um, I'm not sure if there's like a known orca attack on a human being before. I, I don't know that. Yeah. And he said they weren't, um, they were more like being locals than they were being like hungry, you know what I mean? Yeah. They were more like vibing, they were just following them around and just checking them out. and. I don't even know if vibing is the right way to characterize it. They might, they were just being curious, perhaps, you know, like, what are these guys doing? And um, Kyle said it was just mind blowing, but um, there's probably already is a bunch of stuff on Instagram from those guys. Again, Saxon Chang's a photographer. His dad's Aaron Chang, and he's going to have a bunch of stuff. And if you run into any of these guys and I'm going to soon, um, you know, you're going to hear a great story. I had a friend who's like, uh, he was a uh, welder in the Navy 
you know, like underwater stuff. And he told me about a whale encounter he had one time and just the sheer enormity of the thing was, you know, uh, bone chilling, you know, and there was no real threat of that animal doing anything to him. But when you see something that's larger than a school bus and fully alive, and he said the eyeball too, like the eyeball opened and you could see the size of the eyeball that it was just sends this, your reptilian spine kind of thing just activates and you just go, wow, we are only animals on this planet. And that one is way bigger than I am and could accidentally eat me basically. <laughs> accidentally well um pretty scary stuff and i also sent you the video i think i sent it to you of those probably the same pot of orcas eating that dolphin off of scripps oh. pier right there in La Jolla. so they seem to be lurking around the canyon that creates the wonderful waves of blacks that la jolla Deepwater canyon there um and i imagine there's probably some great food you know um where the shallow water meets the deep water so Pretty incredible and um, pretty scary. And I, I mean, pork is just way gnarlier than great white shark as far as if you should be freaked out or not, I think. Mm, yeah. Crazy. Um, one thing I forgot to tell you about with the pipe masters that I think we should touch on, or not the pipe masters, but the pipe pro is uh, their continued effort with this Visla shapers rankings. Yeah. Uh, they introduced it last year. This year, I feel like they're doing an even more thorough job with it. They've done some pre-packaged interviews with um, the guys who, you know, were all in it last year in the final, in the top four, Matt Biolis, Rip Merrick, Marcio Zuvi, and um, DHD. DHD. Yeah. And then additionally... Aaron, Eric Arakawa, they interviewed, and I, there might be one or two others as well. So just seeing those and that engagement, I think, is fantastic. It's obviously shining a light on the boards that are being built, but seeing they're all so good on camera, you know, like oh Eric Arakawa. Totally. Eric Arakawa, like hearing him and like little insights about like Michael Ho and Andy Irons and stuff. And then this wasn't a pre-produced portion, but they interviewed Britt Merrick today talking about some new carbon technology that they're doing on some of the boards. And it's like, Britt's just so good on camera. Yes. And it was really interesting. It was a wonderful piece about cut up carbon that they mix into the resin and they do the layup that way. So it's not like carbon sheets. And he went into explanation of it all. And you're right. All of these guys are well-spoken. They communicate much better than I do, for goodness sake, which isn't saying much, but but they're they're you learn something when you listen to them, you know. And then DHD's always kind of got that that Australian sort of fun dig, you know. They've got like there's some humor, there's some sarcasm there, and it's it's all good. It's it's I'm, I applaud Visla, and it doesn't surprise me that um, you know this is something that Paul nods behind. He's a big surfboard guy; he always has been. And so, any the more we can discuss surfboards and the guys who build them. Uh, the more authentic, um, I mean, that's where authentic culture comes from is surfboards and surfboard builders. That's what we remember. Nobody remembers what board shorts you were uh, wearing. And it's simply interesting. It's yes. a great, great way to fill the time. And be, when people are waiting for waves, it's like the only thing, the most interesting thing that I would be, that I would want to hear. So kudos to you guys for doing that. 
Um, speaking of board building and Marcia Zuvi, I interviewed, I'm going to publish this week an interview with uh, Chris Ruddy. He told me his first encounter with Marcia Zuvi. Do you know this no. story? No. It's incredible, dude. Maybe I like, do know it if you tell it. So Ruddy was working um, in the back of Diamond back yeah. in the day. Diamond and his, glassing, diamond yeah, glassing in mirror maze. Yeah. And, um, you know, like uh, to lead into the story, it's like Skip Fry and Hank Warner and like all of these touch points. Right. And um, some guy who I forget the guy's name, who was just basically a derelict who worked in the factory, basically a derelict needed to be replaced. And he was kind of at his wits end. Chris was with the guy. Yeah. And um this guy knocks on the back door, Brazilian guy, doesn't really speak any English, but had written on a piece of paper, I need a job. And so Chris opens the door and the guy holds it up. The guy knew he wanted to work in a surfboard factory. So he shows up and holds that up to Chris. And because Chris wanted to get rid of this other guy, he's like, all right, this shows moxie and ambition. The fact that this guy doesn't speak English and he showed up like this, it was Marcio Zuvi. That's so cool. I know. I love that. And they ended up, they ended up roomating, rooming together. And, you know, so they lived together for a long period of time and he just kind of had story after story and really, I think, illustrated Marcio's tenacity and moxie and the reason why Marcio has elevated to the level that he's at now and his sole focus on the pointy thruster and high performance surfing, you know, like won't shape you an egg, won't shape you a fish. Just I'm doing this and I'm going to refine it to the point of perfection. And if you think about it, he was only really like at the level that he's at now where guys are winning titles on his boards and stuff. He's only been at that level in the limelight for eight years. You know, like there was 20 to 30 years yeah. of toiling away. Yeah. You know, and until and with a lot of other guys kind of getting the limelight who are his peers, but him just coiling through all of that to get to the point where he's deserves yeah. every every little bit of success he has, you know. Yeah, I totally agree. And another guy that's like I said, I'm a huge fan. He's so he's really fun to talk with. He's very engaging and super smart and just he's just a good human being and there was a large contingent of guys that rode sharp eyes down in the Point Loma area for a long, long time before. So he had business. He was busy. And the reason he had business is because he made great boards and he still does. And that's obvious by um, what we're seeing from Jack Robinson and Kanoa and, and of course, Felipe and all the other guys that are riding his stuff. And I think uh, I want to say maybe Levi Slauson is riding his boards and Maybe Jake Marshall. I bet Jake Marshall's on his. There's a, quite a few guys that are ripping that are either close to being on the CT or already on the CT that are on that's uh, riding Marcio's board. So tip of the cap. And I can't. I only want wonderful things, of course, for everybody, but especially for hardworking guys like like Marcio, who he's one of the good guys. Totally, and great to see him in the mix with these Fistla Shaper rankings. Um, you mentioned Camp Shred. How yeah. was it? It was um, cool. It was good. You know, Surfride puts on that great demo down there in Cardiff. It was the weather was a little bit off. It was that kind of crazy weekend last weekend, and we had, had tons of rain, so the water was a bit dirty. The waves were actually pretty good, um, but um, but there was a lot of 
you know, a lot of people you and I know in the surf industry, a lot of people that are boardroom people that um, I just like to go and say hi and talk to people. It's always fun catching up with people. And um, and I don't get to do that a lot at the boardroom show because I'm so busy. Yeah. Um, at Camp Shred, I actually get to kind of hang out and talk and stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's such a cool event. I was worried about the weather, but to be honest, you guys actually dodged, I think. Like, it was legit raining Thursday, maybe even Friday. And then yesterday and today, legit raining too. So you kind of got a window where the weather wasn't great, but at least it wasn't downpour, right? No, it was it was fine. I mean, it was sunny. It was a little bit chilly and a little bit breezy. But, um, you know, Chris Cote puts on the music there and um, he he like sets up the lineup. He I, I think he books all the acts, but of course he gets to play too. And so um, that's always fun because Chris is just such a, uh, um, you know, he's just, he's into it. You know what I mean? He's fired up. He's, he's, he brings a lot of enthusiasm. Um, and so that's always another highlight is just watching Chris and his group. Uh, he always seems to have a different name for his band, but, um, anyway, it was fun. Yeah. What is that? I remember cut you up. What's the, is that the current name or is that, that might one? be, he might still have cut you up, but he had some other, and I apologize to Chris because I'm, I'm missing the exact name right now, but it was basically, it's basically like Chris and friends, you know, and gotcha. they get up there and they have a good old time and, um, it's just a ton of fun. Um, while we're talking about surfboards, Stab's uh, Stab in the Dark series, I think episode number two drops today, if I'm not mistaken, this evening. Uh, we, yeah, we had a listener call in about um, making a prediction. Well, good. David Scott calling in to Spit Podcast, listening to January 24th, listening to your Stab in the Dark response. Uh, fully agree. It's been an amazing stab in the dark. Uh, really enjoyed seeing him in Indonesia, surfing great waves on good boards. But wanted to talk about the uh, winner of this with that opening scene. Um, Scott, I don't know where you got Hayden Shapes from. I really don't think he's the winner. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think the big giveaway was after the call cuts and he says the winner, he says, that's a blowout. And if we know anything about the previous winners is that CI has won, what is it, three, which is much more than any of the other ones. Maybe Pizel has close to that. But if he were to win again, this would, in fact, make it a blowout. So that's who I'm riding with. I think CI is the victor yet again. I uh, would appreciate your thoughts and keep up the work. In episode one, Kolohe delivers the news to his father on the phone who the winner is, but they bleep it. The editing bleeps and cuts away, but they show you the response from his father. And his response was, oh my gosh, that's a blowout. So that would be an indicator towards Channel Islands. Oh, interesting. I, I guess that I missed that part. I thought it was, what I gathered from it was that they were completely surprised. Like, like you're not going to believe who won. But I guess you could have that sort of empathetic um, response if it was, it's them again, was, you know, you're, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, the cool thing about Stab in the Dark is, look, all of these guys are top-notch shapers. Even if you don't make it past round one or if you're the unlucky 13 Xanadu, that guy's an incredible shaper. And I've written some fascinating, fast surfboards from Xanadu. So they're all great. Um you know, but it's super fun to watch the breakdown happen as each series um, goes live and just 
to see the board under a professional's feet and to get his feedback and and for you and I to just watch it like a lot of times you and I watch him ride watch whoever ride a wave on one of the boards and we go oh that board looks like it works good and he might come in and not like it but I'm like I want to go check those boards out <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean yeah you know what thought I had today watching the the Visla Shaper rankings interview with Matt Biolis and he's in the shaping bay with Crosby and Griffin and they're talking about their dad and like, they're all about positivity and they're such nice kids, you know, and they're like doing words of affirmation and journaling and all this stuff. I was like, man, has Lost's brand identity really shifted? Because when I was a kid and Lost first came on the market and specifically like the surfboards themselves and the team riders that they associated with were reprobates. You know, like it was like house no parties, cremo. exactly face tattoos, house parties, um, encouraging the homeless to drop in on a six foot ramp, completely intoxicated underage Randall, Randall, yeah, Randall, <laughs> underage drinking like yeah. that was the brand identity. And yeah. and as with all things surf, when you start out small playing that card works well. And then as soon as you get big, it's kind of like, yeah. I want to start, you know, I need to be a little bit more appealing, appealing to a broader market. Basically, if I want to sell more units, more widgets yeah. and Matt quietly shifted. And I think honestly, San Clemente quietly shifted like the whole yeah. culture of San Clemente. It's not just Matt, obviously, yeah. but it's, it's gentrified, like, right? You can't afford fully. to live there if you're a bomb anymore. Fully. And so it started early with Kolohe and Kolohe really became a very respectable, you know, well-spoken, smart young guy. And then the Colopentos underneath. But as I thought about it beyond that, I was like, you know what? Carissa Moore, a, the definition of class, Caroline Marks, like his entire team has become like really polished, well-groomed, respectable, tax-paying citizens. It's the exact opposite of what it really, was. There used to be lost energy drink, you know? It was just like, you just feel like, yeah, you're like ready to go, you know, go hang out with Randall. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of a funny, funny trajectory for that brand identity. I'm not knocking it by any stretch. No, neither. But... Look at adaptation evolution it happens and um and it's i think it just speaks to where matt is in his in his life too you know he's he's a respected um surfboard shaper with a family and you know he's he's just like all of us we've grown up a little bit and he's matured more than others perhaps um and it's just a you know yep. it just speaks to where he's at yep i'm cool with it i'm down with it yeah um do you need your bathroom break yet? <laughs> Speaking of age, no, I mean, I'm okay. I think we okay. can keep going until I tell you. Yeah, we're, we're good. Um, I just wanted to point out, I've got Surfing World issue 422 in my hand available for purchase from any of our listeners. Um, you mentioned Sean Doherty doing that commentary for the Billabong Pro back in 2011. He is in business with John Frank to keep the world's oldest consecutively printed surf magazine in print. And they send me a couple of boxes of it, about 40 issues, every issue. They sit in my garage 
and I'm here to sell them to you if you want them in the United States. So if you were just to buy them from their website, obviously you pay the shipping from Australia to the United States for an individual unit. This way they ship me a couple of boxes and I can kind of get them to you for cover price. So they're 20 bucks, which is the cover price. And um, if you live outside of the US, just buy them from surfingworld.com.au. But if you want them in the US, surfsplendorpodcast.com, we've got them for you. Well, that look, Surfing World, that magazine was always, it was basically the Surfer's Journal before the Surfer's Journal existed. You know, it was always large images, super glossy, um, incredible. Who are the guys? I, I want to say it was um, Aiton was one of the photographers. Um, I think the yeah. Hul McCoy uh, collaboration was often featured. Yep. It was just a... I mean, it was just a complete opposite. It was just like super beautiful and core and um, just, yeah. It was and timeless. And it's still here. We can still have, you can still get it. It's remarkable. And I mean, just this cover shot alone. Yeah. I look at this and there's a whole spread in here from this photographer. And I'm like, if that popped up on Instagram, I might look twice at it, but it does not have the impact. It is not the right platform, right? But this with the glossiness, like you said, it's just spectacular. Some of the best oceanscape photography that I remember seeing, you know, like incredible stuff. So having a print publication that still exists that can feature things like this is obviously very important and I'm grateful for it. So glad to be able to do this for them. Absolutely. Um, I see there's a minute left and Ethan Ewing just got an incredible wave, but fell at the end, but it looks like Ethan Ewing's going to move on. Liam O'Brien needs a six. He just took off. Didn't oh, make he, it though. If he comes, Oh, you've seen it. Okay. I think mine's a little bit ahead of yours. Um, yeah. But the other, in the other heat right in the water right now, Jake Marshall versus Connor O'Leary. I've got to say your local boy, Jake Marshall continues to impress. I know he's another guy like Liam where you're, he just silently, quietly just does the work, gets it done. Jake yeah. Marshall from Encinitas. I know it's really impressive actually. Um, I've got, before we go, if you're interested, I've got a listener line call that I would like for you to respond to that directly relates to pipeline. Sure. Yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. Let's do it. Hello, David. Hello, Scott. I'm uh, calling about the spit podcast. Um, I've been a fairly loyal listener for many years now, um, six, seven, eight, something like that, uh, even though I don't identify necessarily as a surfer. Uh, I live in Baltimore, and I have spent some time surfing both in North Carolina and in Ocean City and did some bodyboarding when I was younger. So um, I'm sympathetic to the culture, but uh, I, again, I don't identify as a surfer necessarily. However, I love the podcast um, and subsequently keep up with the WSL and um, watched View from a Blue Moon last night. You know, so just sort of keep up with the culture. I really, really appreciate what you guys do. Um, related, my question is, I've been watching the El Nino swells on Surfline. And as a non-surfer, certainly will never be surfing at Pipeline. Um, I'm a little confused as to how the lineup works, um, those overhead views and especially the surf line um, cams. 
are really interesting because it shows you um, a wide view. Obviously, with clips, you tend to just pick up when someone takes off on a wave. Um, but watching the sort of entirety of the situation play out with 40 to 50 people, uh, multiple breaks, I don't understand at all how a server comes out of that crowd of people and claims dominion on the way. You know, it just seems like everyone is sort of in the same area. So I was just curious if you guys had any um, insight into, you know, how the lineup works at, at that level. Um, I thought it would be fascinating to discuss. Um, thanks so much, and keep up the great work. I'll keep listening. Thanks. Uh, my name is Roman Keebler. I don't know if I said that. Catch you later. You want to attempt to unpack that one? <laughs> well, first of all, Roman, thanks for the call and thanks for being a loyal listener. We're we're excited that you're um that you're with us and that you're a part of the, the crew. Um it's a tough one. There's a ton of nuance, right? 50 guys out of pipe, how does the one guy get the wave? Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with um how much time you spend in the water. And if you spend a lot of time in the water when you paddle out. You're making eye contact with people and people are going, oh, yeah, that's Derek Ho. He freaking grew up here. He gets to keep on paddling up to the point to the takeoff spot. And if it, if you're me or David, you don't know anyone and you paddle out as a newbie. And as soon as you look at somebody, they're probably going to just be like, they're, you know, whatever. They're, they're indifferent. They're not going to go, hey, how you doing, Derek? Oh, Derek, yeah, I saw you get a great wave. They're going to just be like, you're nobody. And you're going to. It's this weird thing that you feel and you understand that you're very, very low on the rung of priority and that you belong in the channel looking. Now, if I don't pick up on those social cues and I decided to just keep on paddling out and I'm going to catch the next set wave, um, there's about, you know, there's a gauntlet of 40 guys that I have to go through and they're all going to look and somebody eventually is going to go, who, who are you? Who do you think you are paddling past me right now? Like there's literally going to be somebody that says that, or they're going to look at their buddy and they go, they're going to say very loudly, Hey, catch a load of this guy paddling up back paddling me right now. Hey buddy, I'm going on the next one or whatever. So there's going to be some verbal stuff that happens. Now that's the newbie, how the newbie gets dealt with. Uh, now there's going to be, you know, like say Eli Hanneman versus, you know, say Jamie O'Brien. Eli knows who Jamie is. Jamie knows who Eli is. Eli's not stupid enough to, to um, back paddle or even challenge. There's going to be a crew of, you know, like eight to 10 that are always at the top. And that eight to 10 changes. And you could be number 10 and be looking good. And then, um, you know, Jamie O'Brien and Baron Mamiya paddle out. And now you're back to number 15, you know, and you know this because you spent tons of time in, in the water. So I think what Roman's getting at, it's, it's interesting in that space between say 10 and 30, how those spots get determined, how you get to just flip on one. And a lot of that is you're getting scraps. Everyone's getting scraps. Everyone knows you're in the scrap order. You know, like there is kind of, it is at that point, it's kind of like whoever's deepest amongst the scrap getters, you know, but the the, the super top priority guys are going to paddle past everyone, sit on their spot. They're probably going to wait, you know, they're going to wait for the, the right one that comes in and everyone's going to go, Oh, it's Jamie go and they're all going to hoot and it's just going to happen. So there's, there's nuance, but a lot of it is just about um, how much time you put in there so that you understand where you are in the situation. That's all very 
true and very specific to pipe. And then I'd say a step beyond that is that in any lineup around the world, there's jockeying for position to try to prove your own kind of bravado and prowess to be on in that, you know, priority position. And with a skill set comes an ability to take off deeper and more critical situations. And so some people will just give way knowing that they can't be they can't take off in that critical spot, but the badass will go sit there. And that means they're going to have priority in that critical spot. Or somebody will think that they can level up to that position. But if they put themselves in a critical spot and then blow a wave, then they've just invalidated themselves and they will not be welcome to go on the next one or to outposition anybody else. So there's, like you said, there is nuance. There's tremendous nuance. And so much of it comes down to these subtle, subtle little jockey staring to somebody down, outpositioning them, you know, just proving your worth on one small wave and really ripping the bag out of it. And then you get a little bit more respect for the next one. So it's not surprising that he would be confused by seeing from that aerial shot that there are 50 people and how could you possibly organize it? But make no mistake, it susses itself out. You know, it really does. And then the other thing is that top 10 or whatever guys that you're talking about, they put the time in when there aren't 50 guys out. They're surfing the days that are unruly. And so they've earned that spot when there were waves to that actually freebies that came through, you know, where there's waves going unridden on those days. And there is kind of a little bit more of a... Um, Prove yourself like this is the day where we figure out who's going to actually get the 10 point ride. And so then you earned that position on those days. And so when there is 50 people out, you you're in that position on those days. So it's very confusing. I don't understand it all. I've not surfed there on days like this. So I'm not claiming that I know, but I've, you know, been in environments in other lineups where you recognize how sophisticated the nonverbal communication is and you're a part of it. And so it makes sense that that would apply at pipeline as well. Well stated. Great. The part of the reason I wanted to play that call for you though, was just to hear the diversity of the audience. Yeah. We're stoked. Roman's listening, man. And, um, from Baltimore in North Carolina and Baltimore, probably, um, what's that? Um, there's some beach in Maryland. I'm trying to think of. Well, and last week I read that listener email to you about the guy in Ontario surfing the great, you know, surfing the lake. Oh yeah. It's, it's like, man, what a diverse listenership. It's cool to hear. It is. It's great. And we're stoked to keep calling, keep using the listener line call in. We love to hear from you. Yeah. Call in right in. Um, that I should probably read the listener line number. <laughs> if anybody does. We got a smoke in. alarm going off. <laughs> <We're> just... <laughs> I'm going to read the listener line number. It's seven, six, zero, Two three seven zero one five zero. You could find it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then also, if you want to send an email, my email is surfsplendor at gmail.com. And I can share those with Scott if you want to send them to me. The other final thought on that pipeline call was um, I heard some commentary about Felipe last week. Part of the reason why people are so pissed, they just felt like, it's an empty lineup at pipe. People would kill and pay great money to be out there and to surf those waves. And it really feels like a, you know, a injustice to have 
empty waves going through in the lineup and him not clamoring for him. Well, I will tell you one cool thing is that we sure have seen a lot of rookies seem to be able to handle it when the, when it's just the four of them out in the water and really dominating and surfing great. And uh, tip the cap to the guys that surfed yesterday on the days off. And um, I want to say Liam O'Brien was one of those guys that paddled out there. Those are the days where um, where you earn your stripes, you know, speaking to Roman specifically. Those are the days that people people go to Foodland and they're like, wow, did you see Liam? I saw Liam get a sick one. And eventually, after f- eight years of people talking about you at Foodland, the, the the crowd parts and you get you move from number 30 to number 20 and then you're number 20 and then you're number 10 and then maybe you might be back to number 15. But, you know, yeah. that's and a great example of the, there are many great examples of this. And one of them is Ballroom Stack. Mm. You know, like he's a great example. Here's a guy who won Pipeline, the Pipeline Masters. Didn't he win the Pipe Masters last year? Yeah, he did. The Vans Pipe Masters two years ago. I mean, here's a guy from New York City, you know, hungry. And um, there's a lot of guys. And, and believe me, he did the hard yard, you know. On the days that nobody wants to surf it when it's big. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue, Scott Bass, to my must-see moment presented by Treeswax, treeswax.com, the only petroleum-free surf wax. Um, Ballroom is in Fiji right now. And yesterday, the first bombing swell of 2024 hit the reef and in the water, Mick Fanning, Joel Parkinson, Ian Walsh, Nathan Hedge, Dean Morrison along with Ballerum Stack and his girlfriend, Eden Edwards. And Eden Edwards presents my must-see moment this week. Ballerum Stack's girlfriend got a roll-in that doubled up on the reef, full keg, and she charged it. That's sick. That takes a lot of uh, moxie. Uh, Did she come out? She got knocked off by the spit. But she pulled into the square keg. There was nowhere else to go and got blown out and then ate it with the spit. Right there at Shish Kebab. She probably, yes. that is a gnarly section. That's what's so gnarly. And you and I have spoken about this at length, but I'll just bring it up one more time. Cloud break is one of those waves that the further you go, the gnarlier and gnarlier it gets. And right when you think, and you know, um, the left at Kandui left is like this too. By the time you're finished with the wave, it's at its shallowest and you don't want to fall there. It's just brutal. And uh, good for her, man. Tip of the cap to, what's her name, Eden? Eden Edwards, yeah. Eden Edwards. Congratulations, Eden. I I mean, again, and it's a legit swell, too. And it's a roll-in, so it's like she gets in easy, but it's still triple overhead. You know what I mean? It's still a crazy roll-in. so gnarly. And when you see the thing starting to ledge, you're like looking at her going... Uh-oh. <laughs> she has nowhere to go. Like, she has to pull in on this thing. And she does, and the thing just absolutely opens up into a cavern. And so Surfline posted the clip on their YouTube account. I'll post it with today's uh, show notes. But Eden Edwards provides my must-see moment, presented by Trees Wax. And Ballerum, that's pretty incredible to have your girlfriend out there with you. That's so. cool. I have a must-see moment presented by Trees Wax as well. You may have seen this. I saw it today. Um, it's called What We Found in the Pacific Day 2, Part 2. And it's Nathan Florence and John John Florence by themselves, a couple other buddies, a filmer, surfing the super gnarly reef pass. I think it's in the Marshall Islands somewhere, definitely in the Central Pacific. 
and it's just draining six to eight foot heaving deep water blue barrels. You probably saw some clips of the first day where it was just too massive and Nathan tried to surf it, but it was like 15 feet. It was, And it's this type of wave that comes from deep water and immediately the bathymetry is such so that it just hits shallow water and it kind of does like a swimming pools type vibe if you've ever surfed swimming pools on Nomotu. But we're talking like open ocean swimming pools vibe where it goes from deep to shallow and the whole ocean looks like it's lifting up and unloading on the reef. And Nathan Florence did a great job of taking his GoPro and showing you how it goes from three feet to 130 feet in about, you know, a span of about six feet. It just goes super deep, super shallow. And uh, John, John and Nathan are out there hooting each other into perfection. I don't know about perfection. It was, you know, it, it was a gnarly situation, you know, in every wave, you, a lot of the waves they had to kind of kick out the back before the, uh, the they got exploded. But Check it out. What we found in the Pacific Day 2 Part 2, it's going to be on Nathan Florence's YouTube channel, which I'm sure Amazing. everyone's already seen. YouTube's become the platform. I mean, I find so many gems on there now from so many different people. So well, There's so much. The University of YouTube. I know. I'm. You wouldn't believe how many silly guitar lessons I get involved in and this and that, you know, and if I need to... Like I need a Photoshop trick. I'm like, oh, how do you make a drop shadow? You know, yeah, yeah. Go to YouTube. It's it is the um, best time to be a fan of surfing. I've said it: the worst time to be a fan of professional surfing, or the most frustrating professional competitive surfing, but a great time to be a fan of surfing in general because there's so much content everywhere. By the way, we're into the round of 16 already. I think Ethan Ewing got through the first heat. He beat Liam O'Brien, I believe. And um, there's about yeah. four minutes left. You're probably watching it too, but uh, pretty, you know, it's sort of this back, it's turning into this like four foot back door day, yeah, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but I believe that as we get into probably one more day of competition, maybe two for the men, I think that they'll be able to pull it off so that we're in some, some pretty solid surf. If they can wait until this weekend, um saturday the 10th they could finish it in some pretty good waves i believe maybe even friday friday the 9th saturday the 10th surfline saying tomorrow is six to eight feet and but they're calling today six to eight feet it doesn't seem like it's six to eight feet but uh, so maybe they'll run the women tomorrow and then that'll put them in a position to finish on saturday that would be cool friday and saturday potentially yeah okay all right. So, well, I like that'd it. Be good. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But it's been entertaining. There is no doubt about that. We were hyped. Yeah. So, by the way, congratulations to the WSL. They've been catching a lot of flack. I will say that the actual surfing that I'm watching, the competition, has been very engaging. There's been a ton of rides. There's been a lot of surfing happening. And um, there's been all these buzzer beaters. It's been entertaining. It's been good competition. It's why we love professional surfing. It's why we love com competition surfing. That's why we love pipe. That's why we love pipe. Let's just be real. Pipe. We love pipe. And I like Lexus. I'm a fan of Lexus. Okay. Tell you what. Until next. <laughs> I am too. I am too. I okay, wasn't good. saying I wasn't. Yeah. yeah, you better be. Until next time, adios and aloha. I don't like LP, stone or stupid. Drunk and disorderly, I ain't no Cupid. Two years ago today, I was arrested on Christmas Eve. 
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.